Hello and welcome back to the Kevin Segura podcast. My name is Kevin Segura and this is my podcast. Today I want to talk about the image of God. It keeps coming up. <laughs> it like literally all last week it kept coming up and um, I just love it. Like it's just so wild. <laughs> this idea is hands down up to this point in my life and honestly I think it probably will continue to be until the day I die. This is the single most remarkable idea I've ever come across like <laughs> like just the idea of it is insane like it's so cool and um it's really just amazing that it even exists that someone even thought to write this down in such a way um like it's just awesome and it's really shaped the way that I view the world and my understanding of human beings and so I, it's something that I just want to talk about because it's awesome and so here we are sh talking about it the image of God now um if i don't know okay the image of god so the image of god obviously so i'm doing this from the context that i'm a christian um and i'll go into a little bit of history and like ideas and like storytelling and all of it but um my main the main way that i seek to engage with this book that is called the bible is as a story um because i I, it's i think about it like this I, in at the in january i'm going to be doing a, a bible i'm going to be leading a Bible study at my church and um, like with just like a men's Bible study at my church. And I'm thinking about starting off with it, like, like doing exactly what I'm talking about right now, setting it up as, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to ex explore this as a narrative, as a story, as a work of art, because usually the way that people are engaging with this text is as a theology textbook or as a grab bag of verses or something along those lines or, or a collection of stories that are supposed to tell me how to live well, you know? Um, and like, that's none of the Bible isn't exactly none of those. All those things are trying to get at something that the Bible is, but it's doing it in a way that isn't really, I think, uh, honoring the Bible on its own terms. Um, and so the way that I'm going to set it up, the Bible study and this episode, exactly the same way. It's like, it's like, asking the question of like what year was van gogh what year was the starry night painted what brush did he use and look at these strokes right here and you can like sit and you can analyze it all you want and like sure there's a place for that right you can analyze the art itself but if that's all you're doing what will you never have done sat back and just looked at it <laughs> and just appreciated the art of it you know, like you can argue these things all you want, but like just sit back and do the thing that it's made for to be enjoyed, to be appreciated. It's a work of art. And so that's kind of my mission in life at this point, <laughs> to help people experience the Bible um, as a unified story, as a work of art, as I've come to understand it. Um, and not just because it's the Bible and that's how we ought to experience it. Like it, that's just what it is. And like, it's the Bible, you know what I'm saying? And so um, that's really my heart in this, and that's how I would like us to engage with this text as a work of art and experiencing it, um, because it has some really profound things to say. But the things that it says, it does it through narrative. Um, it does it through story form. It doesn't do it in terms of a theology textbook. It does it by telling you these stories, and um, but it just wasn't written in our time and place. And so it tells these stories in a different way. And I want to kind of guide us through it um, to experience this idea of the image of God and the way it's presented. And um, it's so cool. And I really hope it um, you leave here changed, I suppose, in some sense. You know, yeah, hopefully you leave a little different than you came in. So here we go. So if you're going to understand a story, right, if you're just going to sit down and watch a movie or read a book, you don't start halfway through. You know, <laughs> like you, you do a disservice to yourself in understanding the narrative and you do a disservice to the author or the director in sitting down halfway through when like the movie's at its climax or like jumping in at the very end when it's like almost finished, you know, like you're not understanding the story. You're you're just <laughs> like, that's just not how you do a story. If you want to understand a story, if you want to understand a narrative, you have to start at the beginning. Like, <laughs> you know, that's what, that's how these things go. Um, you have to start at the beginning. And so naturally... We're going to start on page one of the Bible. And this is where the idea of the image of God first um, is first introduced to us. Um, it's where it first shows up. And so that's where we're going to start. 
in the very beginning because like if you're arguably one of the biggest ways or one of the best ways to misinterpret a story is by getting the beginning of it wrong <laughs> and so let's understand how this story starts in order to see where it goes um yeah <laughs> all right famously in the beginning right literally the first sentence of the bible in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the first verse of the bible is like an intro to the chapter to what is about to happen um and again, we're exploring this just as narrative. And so we're not going to get into discussions about how, where, when, you know, that's not what we're doing here. That's We can do that another time. I would love to do that. But right here, we're just understanding it as a story. And so what happens in this story is God creates the skies and the land. Um, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Over the deep waters, uh, the spirit of God was hovering. 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 Um and so you have this this uh, depiction of an ocean, right? This depiction of an ocean and this depiction of like a desert. Um, now the earth was formless and empty, right? Formless and void um, is usually how it's translated. Or uh, I per I've come to prefer um, the Hebrew there is tohu vavohu. Now we're learning tohu vavohu. Um, that's the Hebrew phrase that's there. I've come to prefer uh, wild and waste as a good um, translation that preserves that alliteration right there. Um, and so the world was wild, the earth was wild and waste and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the chaotic waters. Um, that's kind of the idea there. And so you have this picture of out of chaos and out of disorder and out of nothingness is how they would have perceived this. You have the spirit of God who is moving and ready to create. And so what happens in the following narrative is God creates this spiritual being, this Elohim is the word that's used there. He creates and so he says let there be light and there was light um and then he says let me make a sky dome um what's the word there uh rakia is the word used there in hebrew pronunciation is probably wrong i know sorry but rakia is the word that's used there in hebrew and it's like a sky dome but basically imagine he's like making the sky um and then he and then you know, day two, day three, day four, and he makes this world. Um, and he makes it in seven days. Well, six days, and he rests on the seventh. I'm pretty sure this is an image of him making a kingdom. Uh, at the very least, throughout the, the narrative, what you're being presented with is a God who is creating a place in which he is going to rule. Um, he's creating a place in which he is going to govern. He has, he has created his temple in which he is going to dwell. That is what is pre being presented in pages on the first page of the Bible. And so he makes this place and he, after he makes everything, he says, it's good. And he gives himself a pat on the back. He's like, nice job, <laughs> you know? Um, and so he's creating out of darkness, light and out of order or sorry, out of chaos, he's making order um, and disarray. He's making just beauty and awesomeness and like, it's cool and it's good and it's just ripe for human flourishing. And so to crown off his achievements, right, to, to top it all off, he makes these humans. He makes Adam. Adam. Uh, he makes Adam, which means humans or humanity, um, more literally. And so he makes them in his own image. In his Salem is the, uh, is the Hebrew word that's used there, Salem. Um, and this basically means image, as in, like, for some reason in my mind, like all of these things kind of feel not mystical exactly, but like kind of mystical or mysterious, you know, like, wow, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But like literally like it's, it's in the name. It, like it is just what it says, you know, like it's an image. Think of like when you were in school and you were reading through a textbook and it would see reference image 2.8 or something like that, you know, and it's a picture of the thing that is being discussed. That's all an image is. Um, for some reason in my mind, it's kind of come to be kind of mystical and mysterious, but like it's literally just a representation of the thing that we are discussing, right? And so what does it mean to be an image? Or uh, yeah, what does it mean to be an image of God? This is the first time that it's, that it's um, mentioned in the Bible it's because this is the first time that human beings are made. Um, it means to be a representative Right, an image of something represents the thing that is being discussed again, and so what does it mean to be a image of God? 
Well, so far in the narrative, the God that we have been pre- uh, presented to is a God who brings life out of death and order out of chaos and light out of darkness. Um, and so he makes things and they're good and they're cool and they're just ripe for human flourishing <laughs> and just the flourishing and prosperity of life. And so apparently, so far, the way it's been presented is that is the God that we ought to represent. That is the God that we are made to represent. And so we are given, in some sense, a divine authority to rule, to govern this world. Um, and that word rule, to rule, that's what kings do, right? That's what royalty does. That's what monarchs do. Kings and queens, they rule, they govern. Um and that's just what they do, right? They bring life to their kingdom, ideally. Um, and so I think what we're presented with is a royal vocabulary. We are stewards of creation. Uh, if you're steward is kind of an interesting word, like it, like it's not commonly used, I guess. But if you've watched Lord of the Rings, right, you have the steward of Gondor. He's like kind of ruling in place of the king until the king comes back. Um, and that's what a steward is basically someone who, uh, kind of like middle management, I guess, <laughs> kind of like middle management. And so you're presented to middle management <laughs> of creation. Um, but it's not quite middle management. It's like, this is my representative. It's like, he, it's like, it's like whenever a parent kind of leaves, you know, and they say this person's in charge, <laughs> you know, it's like you've given them authority to rule in your place. <laughs> Um, that's what we're presented with here. What it means to be human is to be the image of God. Specifically within this narrative context, it is the image of a God who brings order, who brings life, who rules and creates things and they are good. Um, and so that's what it means to be human. Just on off of page one of the Bible, it's to be royal and to be rulers <laughs> And like, that's cool. <laughs> like it's a, it's a royal status. Like that's just wild. <laughs> you know, this is, pre- this is how it's presented on page one of the Bible. And we, in our culture, I think we tend to take this idea for granted that human life is inherently valuable. Um, we're just like, okay, yeah. Like we kind of already think about that. I'm an American in our Western culture. That's kind of generally how we think of things. I think, um, until it comes to abortion, but that's for another time. Uh, <laughs> But in order to not take this for granted, I think we need some more context. I think we need something to compare it to, right? And so let me give us that. Um, For example, the idea of the image of God, this is not unique to the Bible. Like other cultures had images of God, right? This is, this is happening within a wet, within a, an Eastern context. This is an Eastern document. These pages were written in Israel. This is the Middle East. And so in their context, like, Kings were the images of God. And so you take Pharaoh, the pharaohs of Egypt, um, Babylon, the kings of Babylon, the kings of Assyria, and all these other empires. They believed that the kings were the images of God. In many cases, the literal physical embodiment of God. Um, And so that's how most other kingdoms ruled. It was just the king, and he was the one who was doing these things, who was ruling, who was just doing all the stuff around here, kind of in charge, you know, in charge of this human project. But the Bible, it do, it takes this idea and it just kind of flips it on its head. And it's like, no, it's not just the king. It's not just the monarch who's in charge. It's all of humanity. And so what it does is it invites everyone to participate in the human project. It's not just the king. It's not just the monarch who's in charge around here. It's all of us. We're all royal in some real sense, as a collective and as individuals. Like, come on, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Um, I think the the um, the writers of the Constitution in within an American context, um, the writers of the Constitution use this vocabulary that all men are created equal with certain inalienable rights. That's a hard word. Inalienable rights, right? Um, that's the vocabulary that they use. And I think they're picking up on like kind of these ideas, you know, the idea that human life is inherently valuable um, because that has not exactly been the case throughout much of human history. (laughs) Um, 
just for context for something to compare it to. And so this idea is just utterly profound. Like, come on, that's wild. And so we're all invited to rule and govern. But what does that mean? You know, like, we're not all going to get into politics. <laughs> we're not all born into royal bloodlines. <laughs> and so what does it mean to rule and to govern? Uh, for that, we need to flip the page to Genesis 2. And the way that it's presented, like, what it means for human beings to govern and to rule as images of God, it looks like gardening. <laughs> And so God makes a garden and he puts man in, he puts humans in the garden to cultivate it, to cultivate the ground, to bring life um, out of this thing that is so potential, that has so much potential. He bring, he commissions them. He's like, you, this, there's, this place is so abundant and it has so much potential. Take it somewhere. And that is the calling of humans. Um, and again, these, when these people wrote, when, like when this was written, this was a long time ago. People were, it was agricultural societies. And so this makes sense within the, the context of just the world at the time. Um, it was gardening for them. And so not all of us are going to be farmers, right? <laughs> we are farmers, but not all of us, you know? Um, and so what does it look like practically on a day-to-day -day basis? I think it's the professions that we choose. Our roles as parents and children um, and members of our communities, whether it be church or school um, or nonprofits, it's the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't know about you, uh, like that's not normally considered ruling, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm not um, necessarily like playing my guitar and I'm thinking like, wow, I'm ruling right now. You know, <laughs> like maybe you could say that if, if like you're skating or something, you're like that rules, you know, I don't know, that'd be that's an interesting way, but like, we don't usually think of this as ruling, but like, what if we did, you know, what if we considered our day-to-day -day actions as engineers, people in the office, people working from home, uh, in our, in our callings as parents and children and people in our schools, what if we did consider it as ruling and as a royal thing to do? And the people that we were doing it with were also a part of this and they were also royal. Like, just what if? How would that shape the way in which we view the world? How would that shape the way in that we interact with human beings who are also made in the image of God? Because mind you, again, it's not just the king. It's not just me. <laughs> it's all of humanity, all of Adam. And that's how it's presented on page one and two of the Bible. That's insane. Like, that's so cool. It's literally just shaped for me personally, like me personally in my own life. When I discovered this, it just completely blew my mind. And it just shaped the way in which I interact with people. I was like, oh, this is like cool. <laughs> These people are like also doing this. And to use maybe a more modern vocabulary, you could say like we're all kind of in some sense doing the same thing and going through the same things. Um, like we're all in this together in some sense, you know, all the good and the bad. And so that's just cool. It's an amazing idea that has quite frankly shaped the especially in the west where i'm from the american west like it's shaped our constitution and our nation the idea that human life is inherently valuable um like that's rad um so when i was learning about these things when i was really understanding these things oh by the way links down below in the show notes of this podcast um to more helpful resources that just like literally everything that I learned from, I'm just going to link it down the podcast in the show notes, podcast, YouTube videos. It's all going to be there if you care to go deeper, which I highly encourage you to do. But at any rate, when I was learning these things, when I was listening to those podcasts and watching these videos and really taking it all in and having my categories blown, um, it was at a time when I picked up Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia, specifically book two, which is the lion, the witch and the wardrobe right? The famous one, the only good movie that they made. <laughs> the other movies were like mediocre, but anyways, um, the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. And I was learning about all these things and I was putting all together and I was reading this book and C.S. Lewis, if you don't know, C.S. Lewis is the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he was either Christian or Catholic. I don't remember. He was either Christian or Catholic, but he had, he was clearly influenced by all these ideas and he was a remarkable thinker of the last century. And I, it just came alive to me like 
in reading his book how all of how he understood all of this i was like i could see him picking up on all these things and connecting all the dots and it was just so awesome and so you've probably watched the movie you may have read the book i don't think i'm going to spoil anything for you right now but like the it's this came out a while ago (laughs) right um so in the book like this actually makes me tear up like almost every time actually because in the book whenever like the animals so the animals in the book talk right there's like talking foxes the talking lion talking beavers and like animals talk right it's like kind of this fairy tale fantasy type of thing and so whenever the animals see or encounter one of um the main characters who are humans the animals bow to the humans and say your majesty or your highness Like, come on. <laughs> Could you imagine bowing to another human? Like, I, I, like some cultures do that, you know? Particularly Western cultures, Asian, Asian cultures. Like, they definitely do that. But like here in America, in the West, we have no respect for anything. <laughs> not the government, not the president, not another human. Like, we, have, we don't respect anything in the West. I don't know how we still exist as a society. <laughs> but like in the East, you know, like in... in uh, in the East, it's definitely more honor-shame culture. Like, they, especially in Asian cultures, like, they bow, they still traditionally bow to people, and, like, it's a thing that they do. Um, and so, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the animals are bowing to the humans, and they're called the Sons of Adam. The first time, whenever you're introduced to the humans walking into Narnia, they're like, are you a son of Adam and a daughter of Eve? He's picking up deliberately on this vocabulary. It means to be made in the image of God. And in the narrative of Narnia, the humans, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, they are destined to rule over the creation. <laughs> like, that's literally pages one and two of the Bible. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's so cool. And so, like, just that idea of human beings are royalty. Human beings are, like, the closest thing you're going to, like, literally images of the divine. Just that as a concept, the fact that that exists is remarkable. <laughs> like, that is wild. Um, and, like, again, just imagine if we lived in such a way as though that were true. Um, and then for me, it's also, like, think of all the ways in which we don't live as though that's true. Like, what if that is true? Think of all the ways in which we fall short of that. And not because a book told me so. Not because it's written somewhere in a book. But, like, just actually think. Like, in what ways do we actually fall short by our own standards? <laughs> um, and so the idea of the image of God is just utterly remarkable. Um, and so to continue with the, again, like we're, we're literally only on the second page of the book. Uh, <laughs> but to continue the narrative, to continue the story of where this, of where this story goes, um, you flip to page three. And, um, (laughs) well, things kind of fall apart (laughs) on page three of the Bible. Um, and we discussed this in the previous episode where we talked about social media and technology and the human condition. Um, but I'll talk about it briefly that what's presented is what's, what enters into the relationship between God and man and, and humans is fear. And so you have, you have trust initially in this relationship, you have trust and it's security um, and knowing who you are, you are Adam, you are an image of God. You are made in my image. That is what you are. Um, and then page three, the serpent, the snake shows up and he starts questioning these things. And he says, is that really who you are? He says, you're, you're meant to rule, right? You're made, you're made to rule. That's what you're doing. Sure. But God's holding out on you. But if you take of this, of the fruit of this tree, if you define what is good and evil on your own terms and you take that authority for yourself, then you will really be like God. But the irony of that statement that the snake makes in the garden is that they literally are the likeness of God. <laughs> they are the images of God. And so what you have is you have this snake that is deceiving humans into getting the very thing that they have already been promised. They're, the humans are depicted as trying to get the very thing that they already are, that they already have. 
And like, isn't that facts? <laughs> it ain't that the truth, you know? Like, <laughs> just sit, just sit and meditate on that for a while, you know? Just sit and think about that. Um, and then also, side note, I I haven't mentioned this, which is kind of core to this, which I really should. Um, part of the calling is like part of the blessing that is said. So you have Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God made man in his own image in the image of God. He created them male and female. He made them. The very next sentence says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over everything that moves on the ground. And so part of also what it means to be human and made in the image of God is to rule over creation, the animals, literally. Um, and so human beings are made to rule over the animals. And what you get on page three of the Bible is not a human ruling over the animal, but instead an animal ruling over the humans. You see how everything gets inverted. You see how this identity crisis begins to form when we lose, when we forget about who we are, what we are. And that's also one of the most profound things about this. The idea of the image of God is not that human beings, ha it's not something that human beings have. It's not something that you have and can be taken away if you do a poor job. It's simply something that we are. It's how we're made. It's how we are designed as images, as royal images of the creator. And so I think about it like this. This is the analogy that I've come to use. Think of it as like a jar or a vase, something that is that you like you fill up with water and then you pour it out. Like, it's designed to be filled up and poured out. That's what it is. It's made to do that. And so it can do that. But if you have holes in it, if you have holes in the bottom and holes everywhere, and, like, water's linking out from all, all kinds of places, you know? Like, it's still what it is. It is still designed to hold water, to be filled up and to be poured out. It's just not doing very good. <laughs> it's just not doing a very good job of that, you know? And so I think of that as what it means to be human. It's not that we are no longer the images of God because we do bad things to each other. That's not what it is. Like, we are still images of God. We just do a poor job of it. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's not It's not like you're no longer, it's, like, it's not like the jar is no longer a jar because it has holes in it. It's just a jar with holes in it. <laughs> right? It's not like we're no longer human because we dehumanize each other. We're just doing a poor job of living up to our potential as human beings. <laughs> And so that's one of the most fascinating parts of this. It's not something that you have. It's something that you are. And so embrace that as your identity. It's just something that you are. You're a whole human being. And more than that, you're a one of one. And so back to the Constitution, you have um, men, all men are created equal with certain inalienable rights. And you just look around a room and you go, well, maybe not all men are created equal, you know? <laughs> like, some of us are built different. We have different skin tones, different fa uh, facial structures, you know? Like, we're not all the same, you know? Um, and, like, yes, right? <laughs> like, we're not all exactly the same, but we are all human. And so embrace your identity as a human. And more than that, embrace your identity as a one-of-one one human. You know? Because, like, there's plenty of humans. There's freaking eight billion of us. But, like, there's only one you, and you have unique gifts to communicate and to make things and to understand certain ideas that other people simply do not have and will never have because of our life experiences and what we are. Um, split that up between male and female. Split that up between different cultures. Between different cultures, um, like we're all utterly, utterly unique in some real sense, um, while at the same time all being human. And like that's cool. Um, okay, now back to the story. We get to page three, and uh, fear and insecurity enters the relationship because this, this identity crisis happens. He says, you're not living up to your full potential as, as a human. You could, you could do better. You could be more like God. Um, and so that happens. Story falls apart. But then there's this little detail in there. There's this little detail in there where... God, he's punishing the serpent. And to again, just following the narrative, the narrative arc, God is talking to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so you have the problem. 
you have this riff in the relationship. And so what is, the question is, what is God going to do about it? Is there a solution to this problem? This is the first glimpse. This is the first hope that we have in, uh, in the biblical narrative of the solving of this problem. Now we're presented with the snake crusher. And so the whole rest of the story is going to pick up on this uh, at key moments where you have, where you're looking for someone who is going to crush the snake, who's going to rule over the, the snake. Remember, rule over creation. Who's so, someone who's going to rule over the snake instead of being ruled by it. And so that's just left hanging there. And then you get to the next chapter and you have the famous story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain and Abel show up and God says um, to Cain after, uh, or no, it was before he kills his brother. He said, this is chapter four, verse five, I believe, if you're following. Uh, he says, why are you angry? Here we go. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And so it's picking up on the same thread. Crouching. What crouches? <laughs> Animals. <laughs> and so now you have sin. Like it clearly says sin is crouching at your door. And so now sin is depicted as an animal. And it's something that either you can rule over or it will rule over you. And if it, you allow it to rule over you, it will consume you. And sure enough, he gives in to the to the temptation. And instead of crushing the serpent's head, he is bitten by it. He's bruised on the heel and he is killed. As as it were, kind of metaphorically. He doesn't literally die. But like he is consumed by this desire and he kills his brother. And now the innocent are paying the You see you see how this works. Now the innocent are paying the consequences. Um and so now you're still holding out for this person who's who's going to come to to crush the snake who's going to rule over the over the snake um and so we're going to fast forward a lot right now <laughs> but I'll I'll hit on some key points you have um the story of Judah um he is pro God promises him he says a a king will come from your line a royal king will come from your line he will deliver the people um now this is after the nation of Israel is created and everything uh yeah Israel is has come about um, on some level. And so he says, from you will come a king. And so you're waiting for this king, and like he doesn't exactly show up. Um, you have the story of, ooh, dang it, the story of Joseph is important. It's really cool. But basically, you think he's great, and he's going to be the snake crusher, but like he's not exactly the snake crusher. And then uh, Moses, he shows up, and you're like, maybe it's going to be him. He's, he's like rad. Moses is doing great stuff. But at the end of the day, he doesn't trust God. And so he falls into the same temptation. Um, and he is consumed, as it were. Uh, and then fast forward to David. David? Yeah, David. <laughs> fast forward to David. And he is a king from the line of Judah. He's a king from the line of Judah. And so you're like, wait, this is the guy. He's the king who was promised to the line of Judah. He's going to be the one who's going to crush the head of the snake. And again, he just replays the sins of his fathers, as it were. And instead of crushing the head of the snake and ruling over the serpent, ruling over this creature, he is consumed by it. And he allows the snake to rule over him. Um, and so the story continues. And like just king after king of Israel, just same thing. Instead of ruling over, over the snake, over sin, over temptation... They are ruled by it, and it consumes them. And they go, instead of trusting, they go out of fear to to their gods of war and money and sex. And um, it just drives the story into the ground. And that's how the Old Testament ends. <laughs> um, the Bible, if you're not familiar, it's kind of broken up into two big sections. Uh, the Old Testament is the first half, which we just sprinted through and the new testament is the parts with jesus in it which we're about to get to and so the old testament the narrative story arc of the old testament ends and the snake crusher never comes the person who is going to deliver the people never comes the the king from the line of of judah the king from the line of david he never shows up and so that is exactly where the new testament picks up the, like if you in the or in the way that our Bibles are ordered, if you flip the page to the New Testament and you start reading, you're met with a genealogy in the Gospel of according to Matthew. 
And what did, like, genealogies are fun, <laughs> I guess. Genealogies are interesting, you know? Um, but the, what, like, pay attention. They're very important. But there's three main movements in the genealogy on the first page of Matthew. And it shows you how Jesus is a son of Abraham or a son of Adam to connect the dots here. Cause I kind of skipped over Abraham, but he's a son of Adam. Obviously he's a human and he's also from the tribe of Judah. And he's also from a son uh, from the line of David. And so you're like, wait, are we being introduced to the snake crusher right now? <laughs> Like that's that's what it's doing. That's what that genealogy is doing. It's connecting all these dots that I just sprinted through. Um, again, links down below for more in depth studies on this. Um, and so you're presented to Jesus as the connection of all these dots, and so you're like, okay, cool. And uh, famously, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, I think that's his cousin. And then the very next story after the baptism of Jesus is he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he has this temptation and he's tempted. The devil comes to him. It's a interesting story, but again, just narrative story arc. Like what is the story? The devil comes to him. This, the, the Satan, literally the Satan comes to him, the opposer, and he tempts him with the exact same things. He says in the very, cause in the, in the, sorry, in the, in his baptism, famously, sky opens up and he goes, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so in the very next story, literally the next line, basically, you have the opposer saying, are you really the son of God? If you really are the son of God, save yourself like you're hungry, like make these rocks turn into bread, <laughs> make these stones into bread. If you really are the son of God, you know, like, is that really who you are? He's questioning his identity. And when was the last time that we saw the enemy, as it were, the enemy questioning the identity of a human, tempting them to fall and be consumed? It's a replay of the garden. And so this question is presented now to Jesus. He is a human, but is he going to trust God or is he going to live in fear and say, you know, maybe God is holding out on me? And so that's the, pres the question that is presented to him. And I want to make a side note real quick. It's not just presented in these stories of old, right? It's not just because this was written thousands of years ago. It's not confined to those things. This is something that happens on a day-to-day -day basis with every single one of us. It's a question of are we going to live in fear and insecurity or are we going to live in trust and hope and security? Um, and so every other character in the entire Bible thus far has fallen into this trap of not trusting of trying to take the authority on their own terms and not accepting their identity, not living within their identity as the image of God. And Jesus is the first person that we're introduced to who really trusts. And he says, get out of here, dude. <laughs> he says, be gone from me. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, but he says, no. And he, instead of allowing, uh, instead of, Instead of being ruled by the beast, he rules over the beast, and he lives in trust and in his and within his identity as a human, as a son of Adam. Um, again, just narrative, because if you just follow the narrative, because if you're trying to get theological, you can say otherwise, but just follow the narrative. Um, and so he's out there in the wilderness trusting God, and it's great. He's presented as a human, who trust God and like that's the thing that we've been looking for for from the very beginning he's crushing the snake and so what he does uh, once his ministry starts is he begins crushing the effects that evil has had on the world and so he goes about healing sickness and he, like curing people of their diseases and forgiving their sins and um, doing all these other things like raising people from the dead <laughs> and you're like whoa <laughs> that's wild you know and he's doing these things as a human, made in the image of God. The claim is that he is where the, where the divine and human meet. They come together in him. And so you're presented to, like, the human one. And so his favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. 
which again sounds kind of mystical but like literally just what is that a son of man it just means human it just means a human one and so he's presented as a human and so now we fast forward to his crucifixion the time has come he is going to rule everyone everyone's really excited because they've been waiting for the snake crusher they've been waiting for this messiah to come and deliver their people especially the nation of israel like Israel, their whole story is just throughout all of history getting destroyed into the stick. They've just, <laughs> like, f- and most recently, well, maybe not most recently, but, like, in more recent history, the Holocaust, and it goes all the way back for millennia. And so, at his time, it was the Romans, they were ruling over Israel, and so his people, they were like, yay, the king has come to free his people. And they think he's going to free them from Rome. But Jesus apparently saw that the problem was not Rome. The real enemy was not Rome. It's the same thing that tempted... The real problem is the same thing that tempted humanity in the garden. The real problem is insecurity and fear. And um, it's not... How do I say this? It's a heart problem, I guess. Um, there's a lot more I could say. I'm not really going very in-depth. But when he comes to confront the forces of evil, he's not fighting Rome. And so it comes time for his coronation ceremony. And when he goes up to be crowned, he's given a crown, all right. But it's a crown of thorns. And he's given a robe, but it's not like royal and it's not like purple and velvet and soft. (laughs) And he's lifted up, but he's not lifted up like in a royal way. It's not like he's standing at everyone's bowing. No, he's lifted up on a cross. And everyone says, this is the king of the Jews. And that's his, and that's his crucifixion. That's his coronation ceremony. He's given a crown and he's lifted on high for all to hail. King of the Jews, here he is. This is the human who came to reign on God's behalf. And so, like, first of all, just sit with that for a little bit. Um, but, again, if the story has progressed where this is... Like, we were waiting for the snake crusher. We were waiting for the Messiah to come to free his people. And then he ends up dying? Like, that's not how I thought the story was supposed to go. (laughs) That's not how I would have written the story. (laughs) That's not, like, that's not the bad guy. Like, what do you mean you died to the enemy? Like, what do you, like, come on. That's not how the story goes. That's not how kings rule. And I think that's exactly the point. Jesus came announcing the the kingdom of God. If there was one thing, if there was one phrase that you could sum up his message, his entire message in, it's the kingdom of God. The good news that the kingdom is here now. And so he came announcing the kingdom of God. And if you recall from the beginning of this story, it's the kingdom in which we were made to to co-rule. We were made to rule alongside God in this partnership, this human divine partnership. We were supposed to rule alongside him in trust and in unity and insecurity. But we forfeit that with fear and insecurity and forgetting our identity as a whole human being made in the image of God. Again, it's not something that can be taken away from you. It's something that you are. And so what would it look like if we really embraced that? If we really lived by trust, believing that the world was abundant and really believing in our identity as images of God? What would that look like? Jesus came, and I think that's the prime example that we could point to. I think that's something that we can tangibly point to and say, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what he ushered in, is it not? Apparently, it looks like sacrifice and generosity and kindness and compassion and truth and grace. And these seem like kind of biblical words, you know? They're like very like biblical kind of vocabulary, I guess. Um, I don't usually like using words like that. But I think what Jesus did is he was the human that we perpetually failed to be. 
he became the the human like he just was the human that we perpetually failed to be the thing that we were made for that's what jesus was um and so he of course it's it's a tragic story except for when you turn the page he's resurrected and it's a weird thing <laughs> like he's resurrected i don't know like it's a tall claim i know but again if we're just following the narrative context um to be clear i think i do believe that but if we're just following the narrative context like if we believe that the universe is created out of an act of love and generosity and abundance then i think in some sense an actual logical like actually i think a logical conclusion from that is a phrase that paul would later use to say death where is your sting And so Jesus comes and he ushers in the new creation, which is where the rest of the story goes after his resurrection, after his crucifixion and his rising. He ushers in the new creation. And this has been the hope from the very beginning. It's this idea that human beings, like there's like we, we, there's something kind of wrong with us, like a little bit, you know? <laughs> in some sense, we have to be remade. Like our desires, like we, we want things, but we want things that like kill us half the time, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not just making this up. Like half the time we want things that are bad for us. <laughs> um, and so in some sense, we need to be remade. And later biblical authors, um, Paul will say, um, if you, ha like he'll say about himself, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or if you are in Jesus. You are now a part of the new creation. The new creation is in you. And so I'll just offer my personal experience, like literally this, the story in the way that I have presented it to you, this narrative of the, of human beings are made to rule and like we are royalty and Jesus came to be the royal human that we perpetually failed to be for ourselves like this story, particularly the climactic moment of the king actually becoming king when it comes time for his coronation ceremony on the cross, it has shaped the way that I have viewed the world. And not just saying that because I'm supposed to as a Christian. Like that's actually the case for myself. This story has made, like, I'm just a different person <laughs> in light of this story. I just am. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but isn't that what we all are? We are the culmination of the stories that we tell because stories are the way in which we view the world. We view the world through these narratives and they, in some sense, give us purpose, give us an idea of what it is that we're doing here and what we're for. Um, and so this story has just shaped me. And I think the way that the biblical authors would would say i think the vocabulary that they would use is to say that i am now a part of the new creation and i'll second that <laughs> i'll second that notion i think now i am in some sense a living breathing walking part of the new creation <laughs> here in the middle of the old one and is that not what jesus was and if i am now in jesus which is a weird way of putting that but like if i am now in jesus um is that not what we are um i'm a branch that is connected to the to the tree um i'm con uh what, what is it i'm a fruit that is connected to the vine uh, is that some of the vocabulary that jesus uses when he's walking around <clears throat> or in the words of chris Renzima, i'll be the branches if you'll be the roots and so that is the story and it finally at the very last page <laughs> it ends it concludes with God and humanity ruling together, heaven and earth united, um, as it was in the beginning. And we are ruling together in partnership in the new creation. And that's how the story ends. Humanity co-ruling with God in trust and unity in the life of the Messiah, in the life of the King. And so that's the story. That's how it goes. 
Um, I don't know what to say apart from the same things that I've been saying. Like, it's utterly profound, and it's just changed the way that I view the world, and it's freaking awesome. It's so cool. Um, I'll leave you with this. Psalm 8. Psalm chapter 8 is... Uh, so the book of Psalms, if you don't know, in the Bible, is a large collection of Hebrew poetry. Um, it's poetry and songs, and it's really cool. And it just reflects... It has its own structure. Like, there's a lot more to say. But it's basically poetry, and it's reflecting on different parts of the story of the Old Testament. Um, and so this chapter in particular, Psalms chapter 8, it's reflecting... It's a poetic reflection on the creation account on pages one and two. Um, and it just beautifully sums up like what exactly what we just talked about. Um, and so I'll leave you with this Psalms chapter eight. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babies. You have established strength because of your adversaries and to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have, which you have ordained, the, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you should care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All the sheep and oxen and all beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Like, Amen, dude. Come on. Amen literally means, amen basically means true debt. <laughs> Like, I'm not even lying. Amen basically means true debt. And so, like, that's all I got to say. True that, man. That's <laughs> in light of the story that we just read. Um, I think that's a good way to end. And so with that, I'll leave you. Um, again, show notes. Check them out. There's links that explore all of this. Probably way more concise than I did or just in a different way than I did. Um, but the links that I'll leave below really shaped me as a human being. <laughs> like, they just did. Um, really broke apart my categories and made new ones. And so I hope that they do the same for you. Um, if you would care to reach out to me uh, via socials, Twitter's a good place. I'll leave, again, links down below to all of it. Um, and yeah, all that said, I hope you, with this, you can kind of embrace your identity. Like, especially if you're dealing with like insecurity, you know? Because like, that's that's all it is. It's insecurity, it's fear, it's an identity crisis. We don't know who or what we are. <laughs> And so I encourage you to embrace your identity as a whole human. Like, it's not, again, it's not something that can be taken away. It's something that you are. It's not based on what you do. Like, you just are you. And so embrace that. Um, you are inherently valuable. And so may you be at peace with that and live in light of the story. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> That's all I'll say. All right, peace. Hopefully I'll see you in the next one. Toodles.